You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Ball Soccer Liberty Podcast on the We Are Libertarians Network. I am your host, Jeremiah Morrill, and as always, I'm joined by our co-host, Dakota Davis. What's up? Our show is about our lives in rural Indiana. It's a show about our folks who are involved in politics. We promise that our episodes are going to be a fun and an easy listen. We interview people who are influencers, elected officials, political experts, and people that we just find interesting. Across the way, we have Cade Coger returning again as co-host. Good evening. Welcome, Cade. We, you, uh, you're reporting some late breaking news at the end of the show here. We sent you, it's like, we're like a real news show. We sent <laughs> yeah. you as an embedded reporter to the county courthouse and yeah. now we're going to have a report for me at the end uh-huh. on the, uh, the Henry County Planning Commission yep. and a little thing you served on. On the other side of the room, we have a longtime friend of, a friend of mine and, and the libertarian movement in Indiana. Mr. Andy Horning is here. Welcome, Andy. That's good to be here. You are a, uh, Many time candidate uh, for for office. Uh, I vote. I, I can't tell you. I've, I've probably voted for you more times than I have on my left hand. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the the term that's most commonly bandied about is perennial candidate, but we all know what that really means to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dan Burton was a perennial candidate too. Yeah, yeah. So of course, anybody who gets reelected a hundred times is a perennial candidate. We just don't call them that unless they lose. <laughs> It's unfair. <laughs> it is unfair. I don't want to brag, but I've already lost twice. Yeah, well, I, you know, so I'm, you're a perennial candidate. That's then. right. I haven't run for the same office a couple of times, but, I mean, we'll yeah. see how it goes. So uh, a little weekend recap here. We like to just chat amongst ourselves for a few minutes and set mm-hmm. the tone before we get to the Stephen Colbert gotcha questions. Um, <laughs> Dakota knows that's not true. No. Uh, Boss Hog Liberty has had uh, had some success uh, this week. We're up to we have. over 500 Facebook are, likes. I just checked it whenever we were going live, and it was at 541 likes on Facebook. That's awesome. I'm I'm pushing to get to over 600 by the end of the weekend. There we go. So everybody needs to go onto our page and share the page so that we can get as many likes on there as what we can. That's how we uh, that's how we grow it is by getting people to uh, to like and share. Yeah, Facebook uh, is huge in our in our growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's the Facebook video especially drives it. You know, where we go, when we go live and we you know we have somebody like Andy on who has a reach and an audience, there are people tune in and uh, and. You know, heck, there's there's already a dozen people watching the Facebook Live, and we've been on the air for about a minute. You know, I should have put something on my page about me being here tonight. I guess, I, I guess, as we already discussed, my standard <laughs> policy is to blame Steve over there. Yeah, so. Steve, your campaign manager and, and driver. I assume Steve's your driver. Uh, <laughs> Steve, Steve is over in the we corner. Didn't do that right either. <laughs> no, I, honestly, when I was Rex Bell's campaign manager, I uh, my job was to uh, to sit in the passenger seat and keep Rex company. Huh? So that's uh, kind of the way it went. All right, he did that. Yeah. 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 Rex kind of strikes me as the type of guy that just enjoys driving, though. The only time uh, you, that you'll get a kick out of this, the only time that I drove uh, during the entire campaign was our debate we had in Evansville at the uh, University of Southern Indiana. And uh, <laughs> we, we, we arrived in, uh, in, the, in the campaign Tahoe, 
we had a special parking space uh, that was where each each candidate had one. So he was, you know, he was candidate Bell. Uh, they had a parking cone with his name on it. It was misspelled ball. <laughs> so wait a second. So, you know, <laughs> bell versus that? ball. And uh, so I ran it over with the Tahoe and took a little picture. I didn't mean to. Excellent. I just had a little depth perception problem. Huh. Okay, so, so we we know why uh, Rex did the driving then. Perhaps. Yeah, generally. Yeah. Okay. I bought the Tahoe later, so I mean, it's oh. you know, I, I feel like I'm pretty good with it now. Okay. Good. <laughs> so yeah, we got uh, we got up to 500, uh, 500 Facebook likes this week, up, up, up trending towards six hundred now. Uh, and another big thing was accomplished, Cade, in the, uh, in the war for freedom in Henry County, Indiana. Yeah. The uh, Citizens of Henry County group, which we've talked about all the time, there's over 6,000 members in there, and it's, uh, it's a big part of our following locally. Uh, there was a little activism that took place, and uh, I think you started this probably two months ago, complaining that you don't want to be in a Facebook group that you're not allowed to share memes or GIFs in. <laughs> yeah. and, so we all from there, up. I started radicalizing people. Yes, and uh, so we pit, picked up our internet pitchforks <laughs> yeah. and started uh, starting talking to moderators and pointing out the ridiculousness. That you'll get a theme here as the as the way we operate, Andy. <laughs> uh, over the weekend, they the moderators reconsidered, and uh, now there's a little bit more freedom in the world, Dakota. Yep, yep, there is. If you uh, if you saw my Facebook post, we had a a picture of me acting like Patrick Henry. Uh, it was, it was uh, my face actually uh, pasted onto Patrick Henry's body. You look so similar. Yeah. And he's holding up his uh, articles and he, you know, the give me liberty or give me death. And I, it's my caption was give me gifts or give me death, citizens of Henry <laughs> County. So, uh, so we won that little piece of freedom this week. We did. And, uh, and now we have the, uh, the distinct honor of having uh, Andy Horning, who's running for U.S. Senate uh, across the entire state of Indiana. The whole state. 92 counties. Yeah, 92 counties. Nine congressional districts. <laughs> I, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> tell me, tell me, now that you're, you've, you've run as a libertarian before, uh-huh. and now you're running on the, uh, on the Republican ticket, mm-hmm. so their process is a little bit different. You yep. have to it's go harder. through. I, when I ran for office as a libertarian, I needed two signatures. I needed the state, uh, the state chairman and I think the treasurer. How many do you need? 4,500 at the minimum, but see, here's the trick. It's not even just signatures you're gathering. You're getting their date of birth, you're getting their address, and their signature. So, you know, you're asking people to spend a little bit of time on this form and give up information that a lot of freedom-loving people are not real free with. Right. And, And then you have to get them to put that on a form that then goes back to their home county and gets approved by their has, county it gets, courthouse. Correct. So it, they get tallied at the at the county level. So there are a bunch of counties in Indiana. It's it's the forty five hundred is five hundred per district for, per congressional district. So you can't um, just go to Indianapolis and stand on the street corner and get the nope. ten thousand signatures and be good. Nope, nope, nope. And it's not just signatures. Like I said, you know, if it was just signatures, then it, it would be easy. But it's not. And so people actually have to spend. You know, it's it usually works out. You, you have to spend about a minute. You know, just standing there. In, in cold weather, as it turns out, lately. Um, <laughs> really, so, got, really got screwed on that one. I've actually been thinking of running for Senate of Tahiti. But, um, Puerto Rico could use a yeah, senator. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge, and a lot of people don't make it. In fact, even at the presidential level, you know, and, oh, actually, one of our senators um, didn't make it. 497 is close enough if you, uh, if you start as a U.S. congressman. Yeah, and, and so that's just it. You know, am I going to be able to get away with what the other guys get away with? Probably not. 
So, I mean, you know, we're going to have to have our, our, you know, T's crossed and our I's dotted. But. So before we go too much further, I'm, I'm, I, def- I desperately want to see you make the ballot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do people do that? If they want to get involved or if they want to sign or, or try to try Thank to get you. signatures, how yeah, do we yeah. do that? We actually have a form that um, I've got posted from my on the on the front page of my website, which is Horning for Indiana with a number four. So Horning for Indiana. See, now com. you can't run for Tahiti because you've already got the domain Horning for Indiana. I know. Well, You're I, committed. Could, I could be for, for Indiana from Tahiti, but <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, not, I'm a Hoosier, born and raised. Um, so anyway, on that page, you've got a link that'll take you to a sign-up page. It just asks, like, you know, what county are you in and how many signatures you think you can get, that kind of thing. But mostly it gets us in touch with the guy who's managing this process. And so Jamie Werner is the guy who's who's running this um, He's doing a great job, but it is a big job, and so we need all the people we can get to help us with it. Because you know, it, it's forty five hundred. You know, on when I first heard this, you know, some years ago, I thought, well, it doesn't seem so bad. But you know, actually trying to collect it is a different matter. And where you had Hillary and Obama fail to do it in Indiana, and you had a senator, you know, who was a congressman before fail to do it here in Indiana, it is tough. It's tough to do. So it's a significant hurdle, and I could use all the help I can get. Well, obviously, from the libertarian side, we've always been uh, pleading for for easier ballot access across the board, and that applies for the for the uh, for the Republican Democrat parties as well, the major I, parties in Indiana. And you know, I tried to take it to court. So you know, it's I, I've tried to fight that fight for years and years and years. Yeah, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your history for people that are just now tuning in and learning. We have listenership all over Indiana. We're, we obviously have a strong focus in East Central Indiana, mm-hmm. uh, where Liberty views have been well received. Uh, but we have people all over the state of Indiana that listen. So uh, you've run for Congress. You've run. You know, I, I know last cycle you ran in uh, the ninth, dis- the eighth district, I guess. Eighth district against Dr. Bouchon. Uh, or in that race. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't uh, not against. Yeah, I don't run against these guys. If it was me versus him, I could take him in a fair fight easy. So it's not, <laughs> no. I understand. All right. So I, I will rephrase. In the, in the same race that, that's currently occupied by Dr. Bashan. We were all applying for the same job. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and then you've uh, you ran in the seventh congressional district, and when you lived in Indianapolis at one point, you've you've you left the the urban lifestyle, and now you live in Freedom, Indiana, mm-hmm. down in Owen County. Uh, so you've you've run there. I I first became aware of you. I guess probably, I I, I would say it was a, a race for governor, and it was. Pro- Did you run twice for governor of Indiana? Yeah. So it was the first time. <laughs> it was the first time, and then I actually got to meet you the second time when I had become involved in Indiana politics. But uh, you know, I guess that was probably twelve or fourteen years ago that you ran for governor the first time. Um, uh, actually, it was two thousand. It was two thousand. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Eighteen years. Oh my God. Yeah, you've gotten older since I saw you on TV, but it wasn't high definition back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just a matter of time. It'll happen to you too. Yeah. Well, the uh, I understand. So uh, <laughs> it's happening now. We're going through wedding planning. I'm getting married in July, and uh, I know. Yeah, everybody's as shocked as I am. So yeah, that's going to age me. Uh, it's, uh, no, uh, that's a, that's uh, well. I'm, we better not go there. <laughs> so. Uh, Tell me about the process. You, you, as as you've run these races before, what what in the world got you thinking that you wanted to do this again? Because I, I know we've been through this site. This uh, um, this is the last time, or this is you know probably probably not running again. You know, I th- this is a difficult one for me to explain because I really do hate politics, and I get nervous speaking in front of groups of people. There's nothing about me really that's quite correct with politics, and, and yet 
you know, it, it always comes down to the same sort of thing. I see the slate of options that were presented, and everybody says this. Everybody says, well, you can always run for yourself if you don't like who's on the ballot. But how many people actually do that? And so when it comes to having a constitutional option, how many have there really been in Indiana for, for any level of, of public office? You just don't get that many people who who just want to do the law as written, make things simple, make government go legit. It's a fairly simple thing that I'm asking for. I just want our government to be governed. So at the federal level, uh, who are some examples of people that you think are doing it the right way? Um, there are there are basically three. <laughs> <laughs> Out of 535, that's not too bad. You know, three. <laughs> um, you got Thomas Massey, Justin Amash, and I think to a very large degree, Rand Paul. So you, you basically, the best chances of you agreeing with somebody as a congressman is to be within 200 miles of your house, whether they're in southern Michigan or northern Kentucky. That's the, you know, that seems to be, yeah. That's it. Yeah, you have to be yeah. close by. So you, you will, if you if you are elected, you'll be like this little <laughs> cluster. You'll be the uniter between Kentucky and Michigan. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think, you know, with the, on one hand, we will have plenty to go out to lunch about and, and discuss. On the other hand, there are an awful lot of people in Congress who are unfairly divided against themselves, where there's there really is a lot of common ground that nobody's really even even touching. Because Democrats and Republicans all have their favorite parts of the Constitution. And, you know, when I ran as a libertarian, people were always asking, you know, who would who would you caucus with if you got elected? And I, I've always thought that was a really dumb question because, you know, it, we, liberty-minded people, you know, constitutionalist-minded people, have the, you know, we own the common ground. Right. And most people now agree with most of our issues. So in terms of ideology, we've kind of already won the argument, and it's really just a matter of getting people to vote the way they talk. So really, I would have more in common with more people in Washington, D.C. on more issues than most of those guys there, because they are very polarized in a very tribal, kind of ideologically nonsensical way. And that's something you've talked about an awful lot, is just the tribalism that we get into with, with all politics. You know, I'm because this guy has a D next to his name, I can't consider voting for him. It's all right or all wrong. Our guy is all right and your guy is all wrong. And that's nuts. You know, that, that doesn't ever work out like that. And when you, you idolize somebody unfairly, you're setting yourself up for a fall. And when you demonize somebody unfairly, you're, you're losing potential allies. So last night I looked, you retweeted uh, something from Representative Massey, mm-hmm. uh, basically, and I, I assume this is your position as well, criticizing the fact that there was a federal tax cut last month, and now they're going to agree to just blindly spe- increase spending. They're going to raise the debt ceiling or shut down the government in 30 hours at, from the time we're recording this. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that by the time you're, you know, this podcast gets up and you're driving, you're driving in your car on Saturday morning, <laughs> we've magically found more money for the federal government and everything's still happening, and you can still go visit Mount Rushmore. The line is that the tax cut is going to increase growth and that the growth is going to, in, you know, drive more tax revenue and that somehow all of this will magically work out. And, you know, the sort of that Laffer curve idea does have some merit to it. And at least in the short term, it might it might turn out kind of OK. But, you know, when people are talking about infrastructure, you know, and, and making roads that work and bridges that work and all of that thing, we never think about the infrastructure of, you know, we, we actually have a continuum of you know, of economics and time that we can look at and see that bridges wear out over time. Money systems wear out over time. 
Political systems wear out over time. Human civilizations have a 100% failure rate, and it's always by the same sort of pattern. And if we don't get wise to that and see that we are on an unsustainable course, you know, we have all kinds of, you know, political infrastructure deteriorating under debt and under war and under all kinds of just, you know, the usual things that take down a country. And you don't even have to look back to ancient Rome. You can look anywhere in our last, in the past hundred years. You have places all around the globe where they've done the same thing and it ended the same way. And when are we going to get that? You know, it doesn't have to. We don't have to crash on our watch. You know, we can fix this. And it's a fairly simple thing. If we just do the law, which was proven to work better than anything anybody else has ever tried, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't like everything in the Constitution. I'm not okay with every single word of it. There's some stuff that's problematic, but it's an agreement. It's a deal. It's a compromise. If you'll agree to everything else, you'll accept the 16th Amendment as, as law? You know, I'm okay with all of this stuff as written. 14th Amendment, 16th Amendment, whichever parts you find offensive. You know, there's I'm okay with all of that if we just go legit. But the idea of suspending all of that and not having any sort of restraints on governing power and not having any restraints on the authority of government or the spending of government, where it's not going to last much longer. Fair enough. So the uh, see, Dakota, you've put together a handful of different numbers and, and results for us. In uh, in your past runs, Andy, mm-hmm. uh, you ran, I guess in 2012, you did run for the Senate seat. Mm-hmm. You were on the stage. My, my parents, I think, were in the front row with you at the, uh, yeah, the infamous... Say hi to the, them. That's right. Mom and Dad, let, uh, yeah. hi to the wife and kids at home. <laughs> oh, hi. The, the, the Scott Pruitt uh, <laughs> race car driver uh, line. That one's for Zach Bertram, who's watching live. Uh there's this race car driver, Scott Pruitt, ran the Indy 500. He was he did sports cars and all that. And every time he'd get interviewed, he'd wave and hi to the wife and kids at home. <laughs> so the, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's just basically just for that one listener. Uh, or Scott Pruitt, if he happens to be listening. <laughs> Running in his final race, uh, the 24 Hours of Daytona, this uh, later next month. Wow. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but we, we do actually have sort of a yard sign for you hanging up in the studio. Yeah, yeah. It's the biggest yard sign that's in here. <laughs> And it's an Andy Horning drawing. It's 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 yeah. by his, his by his right hand or left hand. I was my, my right, right hand. hand. Yeah, the, the good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to post a picture of it whenever we post the link to this uh, to the to this episode. But it's it's actually right behind Cade, and it's a uh, the a picture of the Statue of Liberty holding up the, by the tails a uh, a donkey and an elephant, and uh, it says, "Isn't it about time to vote Libertarian?" That's, I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's actually like my favorite. It's my favorite yard sign that's hanging up in here because it's, it's just uh, it's just dangerous pop it's, art. It's original. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't quite make it to the Banksy level of fame for that, but yeah, it's, it's been around. So um, yeah, so you did run for the seat in uh, in 2012, and you obviously you were on the ballot statewide, mm-hmm. and you got uh, nearly six percent of the vote, just a massive total, 145,000 people. Which, if all of those people were to vote for me in the primary. And then, you know, we, we still would need some. But in a crowded field, um, I think, you know, my my math seems pretty good, much better than it has been. <laughs> Let's not talk about that too much. But, yeah, it's I, the odds and statistics are in my favor, I think. Yeah. So in this, uh, I guess there's another big announcement as well. Uh, Americans for Prosperity is mm-hmm. hosting a debate. Mm-hmm. And I believe that I read that you are going to be included in that. I will. So. Mm-hmm. Justin Stevens is with that group, and he sat in this chair probably two months ago and uh, and, and appeared with us and talked about a number of different things. Uh, so you and the entire field are going to be included in a debate. At, is it going to be at MS, at WIBC or WIB, uh, 93 one? one of the, 
I think I read that. Be prepared. I think you're going on the radio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so that's coming up, and you've got uh, – there are, I guess, three very well-financed candidates in the race, and then a couple of others as well, right? <laughs> and, then, yeah, and, and then – And then a couple others. We, we're talking decimal place differences, yes. We've uh, we've been interviewing candidates in a series on the 6th Congressional District, because that's what we're in, and Representative Messer is trying to move up. Uh, so we had – a field of about five people running in that race. Uh, very early on, we had Jonathan Lamb on, who I think you've met. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jonathan called uh, Greg Pence the 900-pound gorilla, and we've called him that throughout the entire race. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, and, and just his presence in the race has driven away all but two of the other candidates. Because it's tough. You know, it, when you're looking at somebody that potentially can raise the kind of money that they expect the vice president's brother to be able to raise, or two sitting members of Congress, that you are, it is a, it's a heavy lift. You know, but that's what's so embarrassing about all of this. I mean, just looking at it from maybe I can't extricate myself from my own perspective as a candidate and a liberty loving guy and all of that. But at what point are we going to take accountability for the fact that this government is ours? We voted for it. We keep reelecting people. You know, this 98 percent reelection rate of the U.S. House of Representatives in the last election. And yet people thought that this last election was this big revolution and that, you know, we're Voting in Donald Trump, what a what a statement that makes, you know, that we're so different and, and things are going to change now. Ninety eight percent of the of, of U.S. House of yeah. And that's and so what, what yeah, I guess compared my, to the uh, compared to the approval rating of Congress, <laughs> yes, you know, which goes down into single kind digits. Of funny, yeah. Well, there was actually, you know, as the approval rating went down, the reelection rate actually went up. And so what <laughs> I find frustrating about all of this stuff is that we have some candidates who've already proven their bona fides when it comes to Republican policy. They've increased the size of government. They've increased, you know, let's just look at it just numerically speaking since 2010, 2010. We've increased the debt, national debt, fifty yeah. percent. Yeah, we were about ten or twelve trillion. Or wait, is it trillion? I didn't know the number. It's, 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 it's trillion. Yeah. Now. that's twelve zeros. Yeah, it's, that's a it's bunch. Of, that's a huge number. So when you're talking about increasing the national debt by that much, when you've got the keys to government, so I mean, just to kind of refresh where we are right now. You've got, you know, the president. We really kind of have the Supreme Court on our side. We've got both houses, and yet. Where have all of these promises gone that the Republican Party says we're about this and this and this? And you have people like like Obama who just used an executive order to say, well, constitutionally speaking, I'm going to I'm going to nullify DOMA. And he did it. And so you've got you know, the precedent is that you have presidents and congressmen and other people who nullify laws all the time. They nullify the Constitution all the time. Where are the Republicans in this? Right. When are they going the to start living who, up to the their people rhetoric? Who campaign about smaller government, uh, less spending, reducing the national debt. It, it's kind of like we talk about it um, because we we deal so much with local issues. Is that uh, you know our Indiana legislator, like our Indiana legislature, that's passing all these additional regulations, these new laws, uh, imposing new taxes. But they all campaign on the same promises of reducing taxes, reducing spending, um, letting people live their lives. And I just I think that people are starting to realize that's not what's happening whenever we elect Republicans. I keep hoping. Right. But, yeah. But, you know, there, the, the difference here really comes down to a pretty simple human phenomenon where you don't want to think that you're the one screwing up. Your neighbors are all stupid. I mean, right. all those people are making bad choices in the voting booth. They're, they're electing the wrong people. I'm the only guy who's doing this right. 
So you're going to, you know, make unfair, um, you're going to give passes to the people that you, you elected. And that's just human. You know, it, it's a shame. It's a shame that we, going back to what I said before about idolizing some people and demonizing others, you know, that's the same phenomenon of like idolatry and, and tribalism where your guy is good. Everybody else is bad. And and that's, we don't see that that, that phenomenon extrapolates out across the whole country into a really bad government right now. 435 <laughs> congressional districts with a good guy, according to them. Yeah, well, and, or they get to draw their own districts, you know, well, which which is something that each state has to address on their own. We don't, you know, that's not something we can do from the federal level. Well, let's just kind of, you know, kind of. Maybe I'm going to finally ask answer the question you asked, before, you know, before about, you know, why do I keep doing this? Why am I running again? And I'm looking at the slate of options on the Republican ticket, and nothing against them personally because they've got supporters, and I don't want to say anything, you know, negative about those people that you know have their own opinions and such. But the but the slate of options are some very fine people who want to do more stuff with government, and they don't want to do the Constitution. They right. don't. And so, you know, you've got the two front runners. Well, one of these is the Beat the Elite candidate who had a, you know, a fundraiser in California with, you know, a, I can't remember, it was $10,000 a plate or something like that. You, how are we how gonna, much is an Andy Horning fundraiser? <laughs> yeah, I'll take a dollar. <laughs> you know, so you're, you're looking at, you know, these, these guys who've been in the swamp. They have been the swamp. And then you've got another guy who says he's an outsider, but he was already a legislator and already in, voted to increase the size and cost and taxes right. of and government. That's been a recurring theme with all of these different congressional candidates that we talk to. It's always, uh, and I think it has a lot to do with uh, Donald Trump being elected. It's always, you know, political outsider. I'm a political outsider. You know, I'm. I don't think I have ever billed myself at that way, even though. You know, I, I think, I, right? Dang it! <laughs> if anybody's an outsider, but but let's let's look at this in another way. They like to say they're not politicians, mm -hmm. but that's you know that's using a definition of politician that we really ought to reject. I mean, being a politician shouldn't be a nasty thing that you're afraid to say you're doing it. I would like to be a politician. I'm applying for a job to be a politician, and I want to make that that label mean something good. Right. Exactly. That. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. That's a great way to put it. And I would like to be an insider. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm applying. That's the other kind of ridiculous thing. What are you guys applying for? Yeah. Are you actually applying for the job of a U.S. senator and saying that you're an outside? No, just to yep. get here, just yeah. to get through the signatures, just to get all of this fundraising done, to be in a party of insiders. You have and, to and, you have to navigate and you've got to know a lot of insiders. And so as arguably one i mean i i know i'm at least one of the two there there are two of us who i think are pretty close you know being equal outsiders but i know an awful lot of insiders you know i've i've been around this enough that i'm not going to claim that you know i'm like this you're not a novice i'm not a novice i'm not somebody who who disclaims the idea of you know of being a politician or being right. an insider. It's just we have to look these things in the face for what they are. There is corruption going on in this election. Most of the money that's going to be raised in this, and we're talking $100 million for this race, probably at least, it's going to be coming largely from outside the state of Indiana. And when you're looking to see what these people are expecting out of their investment, 
they're expecting to get their money back many times over. And, you know, the facts seem to indicate that it's, there isn't another investment you could make that's as good. I mean, you could buy Bitcoin when it was 30 cents, and it's yeah. still not going to be the same thing as, <laughs> you know, buying a congressman for a million. Because you, right. get, you get billions back. You get special contracts. Your life gets better. Now, I, I know you guys probably remember when Microsoft was getting just about to get devoured. You know, That's right. And they ended up saying, well, all right, we guess we have to get some lobbyists. Now they're fine. So you, you, this game is absurd, and all of us know it's corrupt. All of us. We all know this is about special deals for special people, and, you know, you buy your way in and you get your way. And that's nuts that, that we keep voting for it. Yep. It's just kind of what we accept. Cade, as, you, uh, as you're looking at this field, you know, I would imagine you probably are inclined to vote in the Republican primary in May, so you'd be our, our token undecided voter. <laughs> when you're looking for a Senate candidate, what kind of things are you looking for? So I guess this is your chance to interview one, you know, you know as to uh, what – what what's your guide or what are you looking for in a candidate? I mean, really, I mean, what would be the top three of your platform that you say that you would say would be most important to you as far as making the change that you want to make? Well, the easy one is constitutional rule of law, because that affects everything. I'm the only one even putting that on the ballot. So the idea yep. that we should be, you know, I one of the first things I would do would be I've got a resolution written up the actually the Republican uh, Liberty Caucus. Um, adopted it as as part of their national platform a few years ago. So it, it's not something, this isn't just me. There are a lot of people who really want to just do the law, and they want politicians to keep their oath of office. I mean, all soldiers, all police officers, all politicians, all new citizens, they all swear to uphold and defend the Constitution against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And the idea that we have domestic threats to our Constitution is something that I, I'm the only guy who's saying, let's just do this law. So now, that's what you're calling your your reboot on your uh, on your platform. Yeah. And yet on your uh, on your WordPress site, wedeclare.wordpress.com, you're saying that the uh, rule of law reboot is a resolution that's reaffirming that the U.S. Constitution is a civil law contract and is to be obeyed as written. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a great idea. In fact, as mm-hmm. I was researching you, I started reading through all of these different points, and I was like, yeah, I, I like that. Oh, I like that, too. <laughs> well, you know, it's. It, I'd like to take credit for all of that. But those things have been written down for a couple hundred years, mostly. Yeah. So yeah, the exactly. idea that, that the people who wrote these these words, they were reading Cicero. And, they, I mean, they were looking at historical precedents. And they were, you know, kind of reading their, their, their time and their circumstance. They just... They just beat the global superpower right. they were, with practically no government. They were on, they, you know, the Articles of Confederation were, eh, they failed. Yeah. And, they, and it, it really wasn't working as a federal government, and yet they still beat the global superpower, and they were still becoming quite a force economically speaking. They had kind of gone back to what you talked about earlier with uh, uh, civilizations have a 100% failure rate. And they were looking at that, and they were writing this document, how can we make sure that our civilization, our country that we are building does not have a a failure rate? And that's the sustainable—they had this vision of sustainability through limitation of powers and separation of powers and opposition of powers. All of the stuff that we've turned against, you know, when we're talking about, like, um, 
eliminating township governments and that kind of thing. We're talking about concentrating more power and more money into fewer hands. We're, we're sending yep. it up instead of sending it down. It's exactly. Yeah, that was. And uh, that's always been disastrous. Like consolidating schools increase costs when they were promising it was going to decrease costs. And so every time we do that, we're we're missing the point. You know, even businesses do this. You know, when you're talking about government power with guns and clubs and jails, it's worse. It's much worse. But even businesses understand that they get too big at a point. They have to divest businesses. They have to get back to their core competencies. They yep. have to, you know, they have to do things. Well, they just get too big to fail, and then the government can bail them out, right? <laughs> uh, that's how it works, isn't well, it? Well, you know, it's supposed to work. Is that if you if you if you screw up, you fail, yeah. and hopefully you learn from that and you move on. And that was supposed to be the scientific design of government. I mean, remember this when these guys wrote the Constitution. I'm really getting far away from your question. But, <laughs> okay. but, it's but, not unexpected. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway, the, the, the whole point here was that these guys were part of this, this explosion of science. And you had real scientists that were showing up to the Constitution Convention. So you had some, some serious thinkers that were talking about a sustainable form of government that was all about experimental units called states where they could – they have their own powers to do things. Yeah. Other states could look and say, wow, Indiana's doing something interesting. Maybe we should try that. But now we have this federal government that says, no, you can't do that because we determine everything from central planners. Like, actually, even China's not. They, China, in the <laughs> 1980s, they, they stopped being a socialist government. When they allowed personal property, they cut corporate tax rates 80%. They allowed people to actually keep the profits of their business. And you see what's happened to China yeah. ever since then. It's, and so you have these, these, these socialist communist governments who wake up and say, you know, this isn't going to work. You know, we don't want to go the way of the USSR. We have to do something different. And what do they do? They essentially go back to what we're abandoning. Yeah. It, it seems like that's the that's that's trend within uh, the global um, economy, the global governments, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um it seems like everybody else adopted these socialist policies way before the United States did. And now we have we've seen the Bernie revolution, you know. Well, yes and, and no. I mean, because actually socialism was born in the United States in its modern form. So like even in Indiana where we had the New Harmony, you know, the Owenites, um, that was 1820 to 1827. And, right. of course, it failed very quickly, but people still saw that as an inspiring thing. And so you had people like Marx and Engels say, well, let's do that. Yeah. You know, it's, they, they screwed up real bad. It's kind of like, you know, seeing somebody keel over from eating a bad puffer fish and they say, yeah, I'd like what that guy has. <laughs> yeah. You know, they just a, cooked it wrong, Andy. That's all. <laughs> and so, you know, like everybody always says, well, they, they didn't do socialism correctly. And that, yeah. you know, this Pol Pot fellow, he was in a barrens. You know, he wasn't really, you know, a real socialist. And, yeah. But my point is, really, uh, I'm trying to get back to your question, Mm -hmm. and I really do try to answer questions. But when you're talking about, you know, my top three things, if we did that one, if you're looking to see what the the fallout of that is, our our wars are unconstitutional. We have not constitutionally declared a war since World War II. And so if you're reading the Constitution and you see what the powers of the president are as commander-in-chief— when called into the actual service of the United States. That's the actual wording. So he's not even commander-in-chief until there's a declaration of war. And that, like I said, hasn't happened since World War II. And then you see who's the actual commander-in-chief. You read the Indiana Constitution, and you see that's the governor. And yep. so if you're looking at the actual design of our, our government from 
the most fundamental expensive levels all the way out, it's unconstitutional. So if we did the Constitution, it's not three top things. That's like a million top things. (laughs) So just that one thing, doing the Constitution would have ripples all the way through our culture from, you know, local all the way. I mean, just think of how. Now, now if we if we the day you're elected to the Mm -hmm. Senate, if we decide we're just going to go ahead and go move forward with the Constitution as it is, are we not going to have mass chaos in the streets? The entire the entire government comes crashing down. I actually hope there would be a little bit of chaos in the streets because, you know, one of the things that you know, I'm, I'm not talking about violent chaos, but one of the things that I think is very destructive to a to a society is to think that order is the highest goal when really it ought to be something more like liberty. You know, when you're thinking about what we should be free to have, you know, little chaos, you know, some fireworks, maybe even hold sparklers in your hand against, you know, the Surgeon General's <laughs> warning or something like that. And and so you think about, you know, what ought to happen is we should be excited. We should be having, you know, the same sort of um, parades and and celebratory occasions that people used to have at the end of wars, which we have no experience with. In a while. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of, you know, what that would actually mean for everybody to do the Constitution as written, you wouldn't see the federal government anymore. Unless you're a pirate or a counterfeiter or something, you know, you're you're disobeying the law of the seas and the law of nations, which is hard for an individual to do. I mean, you have to be pretty industrious to be yeah. breaking. But if unless you're doing that, you would not see the federal government at all. You would see all. your state and your, your county government. You would see people that you could meet in, in the supermarket. Yeah, that, that was uh, number five in this in your WordPress post was a resolution that's reinforcing that. In the Constitution is actually written and amended. There are only seven federal crimes that apply to citizens, which was counterfeiting, as you mentioned, piracy, um, high seas felonies, and offense against the law of nations, treason, and tax and postal crimes are applied. And that, I mean, you basically just hit on that, and that's exactly correct. Yeah, but the counterfeiting we leave to the federal government now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. You know, we, we, we also have this history of, you know, if you follow monetary policy history, monetary systems usually last only 30, 40 years, something like that. So, you know, the, the English had, you know, they were the last ones who really have a, a, a strong global standard of currency. And so if you're, you're talking about reserve currency status, we haven't had, we never got to the level of the British sterling pound. What we did is originally had a gold-backed currency that replaced that, and so we had this, the, um, you know, after World War II in particular, where we had, you know, agreements where uh, foreigners, at least, if not Americans, could could exchange one of these little coupons for gold or silver. And so that's that's actually constant in our constitution where we're not supposed to make anything but gold or silver coin as money. And, and that's it, why your your dollar said a gold certificate. A gold or silver certificate, right. And so that was like a receipt. Whereas, you know, the Federal Reserve note is not a receipt of anything. It's just a, what they call a fiat currency. And that's really only been since in true form uh since we suspended the Bretton Woods agreement. And um, we basically went to a total fiat currency system. That was like 1973. During the Nixon Nixon time. It was during yeah, Nixon. That, that kind of hits on the second bullet point here underneath your platform that I have on the show notes is uh, auditing the Fed or banking reform. And uh, you want to restore the constitutional authority of our nation's money to Congress and to the Treasury. Yep. And that's I think that's one of the things that uh, – that w- 
libertarians can all agree on that our, our government has a place in. Well, you know, one of the things that a lot of libertarians get wrong, though, is that they've got this. There is a book that was written, um, The Creature of Jekyll Island, that got a couple of fundamental things wrong. And that the Federal Reserve System is not an independent private organization because essentially what it does is it, it monetizes political debt. And so it is intertwined with our political system. It's not at all an independent thing. They're, it's all the same thing. Yeah, but so, for legal reasons, it has to be declared as a private independent organization. But it's not. Right. And so, you know, the, the fact that the uh, the people who actually met at Jekyll Island wanted to make it an entirely private thing that did not monitor, didn't have anything to do with the federal government, they were supposed to be just the, what they called the lender of last resort for banks. And so, you know, kind of like what happened in the Panic of 1910, where bankers bailed themselves out, the, the federal reserve system that we you know we think it's supposed to be a private organization what that would have been would be a truly private organization that has nothing to do with issuing currency has nothing to do with monetizing you know the federal debt it would have only that banking property of you know we we have a bunch of money if something really bad happens yes and so it'd be it'd be a pool of bankers who would bail each other out if things if, if bad things happened so another major uh, major platform that you had uh, that you have on your website is talking about military reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would assume you still have similar views as most libertarian candidates have on uh, on declaring wars and not occupying foreign you know, nations for bases. I know we really shouldn't be. I mean, maybe peace is a bad idea. I don't know. But <laughs> but you're going to lose a lot of good <laughs> 60s and 70s songs with that, Andy. He's going to start going to lose all of Buffalo Springfield. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I guess I don't I don't know what we're thinking as far as the the whole idea of giving up liberty and security. And we we know that's a dumb thing to do, but we've done it, and and yet oh, we say we're fighting for again. liberty. We say we're fighting for all the stuff we're not fighting for, and that we know that our government lies to us and has for a very long time. And if you're looking to see how even you know there are formal programs for lying to us, like Operation Mockingbird. Where they, you know, they had hired a whole bunch of people who were paid to lie to us professionally, and they did a good job. And so, you know, this is one of those cases where you, you don't want a government that, that, that does a good job in some things like this. And we really I want the normal incompetence that I expect from my I government. Would rather have, <laughs> I'd rather have that than have some of these. What do you What do you think the best way to do that in our current situation is? I mean, we have spent. Decades upon decades, becoming the the police of the world, the people who um, are propping up all these different. But are uh, we even countries. that? Are we even that? What we really are is we are arms dealers. We we arm and train everybody, yeah. our enemies and our friends, and so we we give weapons to all sides, you know, and and we give. Let's let's just back up a minute. Lawrence of Arabia warned us about this a hundred years ago. About you know getting That's a great involved movie, with by the way. <laughs> you know I I I think I saw it when I was like three or something or four or five or something <laughs> like that. But whenever it came out, I, I saw it, but I haven't seen it since, so I need to watch it. But but reading what what he wrote about the Saudis and about Wahhabism and you know what a dangerous sect you know these this little sect of people that started around the time of our founding fathers. Um, when, you know, the Wahhab and the... Am I really rattling on about this stuff? No, you're fine. <laughs> but but anyway, you know... When, uh, when Representative Rakit is on, we expect similar similar uh, stories from him. <laughs> yeah, don't expect that. Um, 
<laughs> so when, when these guys, you know, they, they militarized a religion, and the Ottoman Empire tried to crush them, and they almost did. But what happened is when the Europeans started fighting back and started wiping out the Ottomans, they decided, let's triangulate again. We don't need to, you know, waste our forces. Let's just, let's just get some of these other guys to do our fighting for us. And so they did that, and they picked, you know, people strategically. There's a group of people from Egypt, and then there's the Turks, but then there was this little, this little sect where they were known to be good warriors, and they had oil. And so, you know, they said, well, let's, let's get these guys involved. And we revived this ancient, this militarized cult of, of Wahhabism. We revived it. And then we signed agreements with them, you know, after World War One, after World War Two, And then with, like, the, the, the petrodollar system in 1973, we've allied ourselves to these people to such—we've knitted ourselves to these people to such a degree— that we just gave them um, the biggest uh, refinery in Port Arthur, Texas, not too long ago. We have been fighting their wars for them. You know, we've been basically in the Middle East doing their bidding for now, ever since 1973. What would you say to the uh, the opponents of that who would who would say, well, you know, it's it would be a good idea to get out of the Middle East, but if we left, then thousands of innocent people would die because they would just destroy themselves. We have made a terrible mess. But we have not been a stabilizing force like we claim we have been. You know, we have been exactly the opposite. If we were to just leave them the heck alone and stop giving them weapons and training and all of that stuff to fight each other. And because remember, you know, like in Syria, we had our CIA-backed forces and our regular forces fighting each other. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we have been screwing up so badly over there. Yeah, the, that if we just this is like one of those cases where you take the vice off your head because it's a good idea to do that, and you don't replace it with another one. <laughs> you just you stop it. But twenty years, you know, twenty years ago, the uh, I guess the thought of of the people that were in charge, the the Bush and Cheney group, was we just move the fight over there and it stays away from here. Yeah, but that's it. it did it? Has it worked? You know, you can always argue that, you know, yes, well, just think how bad things would be, you know, if we didn't. <laughs> if we hadn't. But, you know, I could argue that my my libertarian runs for for office have prevented, you know, dinosaurs from returning. You know, you yeah. could say just, just think of what would have happened. You know, the opportunity costs are what are – it's probably saner to look at what we could have done with all of this money and lives this, instead of this. Could have paid and, off the national debt. <laughs> well, we could have. And so you're, you're looking at, at some very real fallout – in our own country, because we think we're doing, oh, we don't want that fight to come over here. But, you know, this is the other thing that really bugs me. How often is it that, you know, a nation, like, moves over to another nation and takes it over across right. an ocean? You know, it's not easy for these guys who, you know. It's especially a, a radical group that has uh, zero military training and zero Air Force yeah. or zero Navy. How How could they... How could they get over here and bring the fight to us? And that's that's a very good question. So, what really is the the risk? Yeah. So, I mean, who it, these people were fighting each other, and they were no threat to us other than just skirmishes and you know individual. You know, there there was terrorism, and there's always going to be terrorism. We've had domestic terrorists. We've had you know you go to Chicago and you're going to get killed by somebody other than a terrorist. I, I made it out just fine out of Chicago. Well, yeah, Indianapolis is not so far behind. So, you know, you're looking at records, you know. Year over year, Indianapolis is uh, is setting uh, crime records. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. know. So that's, and that's embarrassing, too. But the point is, 
Wars don't work as advertised, first of all. So all of the promises that we've been made about, well, this, you know, like when Mitch Daniels said this will be an affordable war, you know, or, you know, something along that line, <laughs> they've never proven to be accurate. So, so let's, let's, uh, let's pivot okay. before we, before we run ourselves out of time today and it gets out of control in a hurry. You'd, oh, never, yeah, yeah. you'd never know how a podcast could, could just spiral <laughs> on us. Uh, another major so- issue that I, and maybe you're going to say that this has somewhat been dealt with by the, by the Republicans that are in power now. Uh, but Obamacare, because with this tax change that came in, the individual mandate goes away. Is that going to, I'm going to ask it, I, I, I know what answer I'm going to get. Is that going to solve the healthcare problem that they've created by eliminating the ability to force somebody to, to pay for it? No. I mean, I work in the healthcare industry. This has been my business forever. What we have done in healthcare is, is ridiculous. We've basically, you know, like through licensing and lobbying and, and removing all competition, we have basically created, a, you know, a very tight-knit um, lobbying group that has a, a monopoly on the delivery of health care. Now, I'm, I've worked in health care my whole life, and it's not so set what health care even is. So to say that th- these people should be doing it and these people should not and all of that stuff is like any other kind of occupational licensing where it raises costs, it cuts competition, and it makes things difficult. That's been going on for 100-some-odd years. But then during World War II... I'm going to go off. I'm going to go off in a historical tangent. During World War II, <laughs> we tied uh, health insurance to employment because we wanted, tax policy. We wanted to uh, to incentivize people to get, get have. There were wage and price <clears throat> controls, right. and so they had to do something. The ship builders had to do something. That's what I've heard Rand Paul talk a lot about as well. Yeah. Is what if what if we took that and that we took the uh, the stipulation that as you the metaphor that you used before knits employment and health insurance together. If we took that away and then all of a sudden the green gecko on the TV is trying to sell you health insurance as well as car insurance. Well, but then the next point is as insurance companies though, did not want to get involved in health care before because if you crash your car, you can get an estimate, see how much it's going to cost to fix it. If you're sick, you know, that's awfully hard to quantify and say how much it's going to cost to fix it or whether it's going to fix it because everybody's different and treatments work differently. It's Medicine is not like fixing a transmission. And the pricing, I mean, you know, my my vehicle, I pay $50 a month roughly in, for my comprehensive on my vehicle. If I had to pay the COBRA rate for my insurance, the health policy that I have, that's pretty basic. It's an HSA with a high deductible. It would probably cost me $800, $800 a month. That's a tough sticker price. It is. But then to think also, what is it you really want? You want health care, not health insurance. What's the best way to get health insurance? Well, what's the best way to get anything? What's the best way to get coffee from, you know, all around the world and different roasts, different grinds. You know, what's the best way to get stuff delivered to people? And I think you could see real easily that competition, free market, you know, that stuff works. It works great. Why don't we do that in healthcare? Because we've done everything but. So, you know, kind of getting back to the history of this, when we tied the government to the to the hip of every doctor, it was with Medicare. And then further and going on with all this coding stuff where we go from ICD-9 to ICD-10. And now we have codes for spacecraft accidents. And for <laughs> and not just getting bitten by a sea lion, but this, what they call sequelae. So the second time you get bitten by a sea lion, that's a different code than the first it's time. It's kind of like the uh, the nationwide insurance. Or not nationwide, but the American home uh, warranty Um it's where the where the guy sits down and he says, you know, I, I need my air conditioning replaced. It broke. And she says, well, air conditions aren't replaced by your or they're not covered by your insurance. But zombie apocalypses are. 
You know, it's, it's kind of the same situation. Yeah. Well, anytime you get politicians involved in something, all power is for sale. All of it. So if you give politicians... Is that, is that how we magically can't... We have, we're the only state in the country that has temperature-regulated beer? Uh-oh. We dropped... So, we, we unplugged Andy's headphones. Keep going. We'll, we'll, we'll fix it. I know. I, I've been talking too much. And so you're going to unplug me. I know how this works. Um, that was a warning. <laughs> Let me see if I can hear it again. Um, so, so anyway, the, 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 the point really is that to do anything right, you don't get politicians involved in it. And so Obamacare was another step in the wrong direction. But it certainly wasn't the first. And it wasn't even really the biggest. It was a big screw up. And it made things a lot more expensive and complicated. But we had, even before that, we had a lot of stuff. We could just outlaw health insurance completely. If we outlawed politicians, it would be even better. Well, then then you'd be a crime. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's paradoxical. (laughs) So, yeah, it is paradoxical, as as is anything. But, you know, the, the idea that all politics is roughly the same, and that if you get a power to do something to somebody... Other people are going to want to rent that power, buy that power, chisel off a piece of it for themselves, and they will find a way to get it. So what's your what's your solution? Constitution. You, just just go back to not being the federal, federal government's pers- pursuit at all. You know, I, I, I hate to just make it seem like this simple, but the Constitution really, it's like I said, it's not perfect, but it's way better than what we're doing right now. And it's got... It's got all the pieces in there. So it's got sound monetary policy. It's got sound military policy for, you know, national defense and personal defense. It's got property rights. It's got all that stuff in there if we would only do it. So let's let's follow just follow the rabbit hole for somebody who's driving along and doesn't doesn't fully understand. If if we say we're just going to follow the constitution when it comes to the Affordable Care Act, that means that the federal government then does not give an incentive to employers for providing health insurance or that the federal government doesn't require that an individual has health insurance and then the states are able to make a decision as to what they want to do. And if they don't want to do anything, then it becomes a local, you know, you're, you're the individuals It's reserved to the individual. The only, the only arguable federal authority at all in healthcare, and, and it would still be by extension would be in Washington, DC where, you know, Congress really is supposed to be running that city. And you know, outside of, you know, like the Navy, you know, if the Navy is operating outside the United States and is under the, the authority of the United States government by declaration of war, I mean, you, the Army, that kind of stuff when they're doing other, if it's constitutional and if they're out, if, if they're under the authority of the federal government, then yeah, but none of the rest of us should ever see the federal government at all. So there should be no federal authority in the matters of health care in education and, you know, to go down the list. But what that means is that the states would be free to do whatever it is that they want to do with one important point when it comes to health care. The states don't have any authority to say you can't get health insurance from Ohio here in Indiana. I mean, that would be, you know, like putting a border between, you know, the trade that they're not allowed it's, to do. It's a legal inter- interstate commerce restriction. Yes. And so the, the fact that, that we already have in place kind of a, you know, the written built-in rules for um, trans-state competition and the federal government is supposed to be a broker of, of, you know, the courts could get involved if there are disputes between the states. 
And if Indiana decides that, you know, we're going to put a wall around Indiana to keep, you know, Chicago wins out, that might be a good idea. Sorry. I mean, no offense. But, <laughs> it, but, but the point is the federal government could at that point insert itself and say, no, you know, you guys need to work this out. We're going to do something different. That's it. So the federal government has no authority over so our health. So basically ensuring that there's the most freedom. It's, it's, and in this case, we're not even talking about freedom because we still are talking about government. <laughs> so, you know, it's, we have to be clear. That was I, the best answer to any question I've ever asked on this show. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to make that plain enough because it, we, I'm, not even, I'm not asking for anarchy here. I'm asking for a governed government. And there is a big difference between, you know, the theoretical anarchists who want to do away with everything and make everything free market stuff. The utopian anarchists. Yeah, and I, I, I love the idea. It's, it's pretty. Right. But it's, we're humans. It's not going to happen. And we're, Those are like the Knightstown anarchists mm-hmm. from Henry County. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you, Jesse Just Riddle. picking on Knightstown. <laughs> <laughs> the black and yellows down there. <laughs> well, I, it's not what I'm uh, – at least not in this campaign. I'm not really going for anarchy. No, no, no. I, I never <laughs> not, have. Not this time. I never have. I, I've never – you know, it's, it's always been proven, you know, sustainable governed government by law, rule of law. So everybody has to do, you know, the law. Nobody is above the law. So the Constitution, as written, is a leash on politicians, not on us, though. So if you read, you know, what the the federal Constitution is real plain about that, where it's got different terms for the states and for the people, and, you know, all of those things are laid out well enough that there isn't any excuse for confusion. Yeah, I think that's a huge misconception amongst the the general populace, the general people who are going out and voting, is that they think that uh, we get our rights and we get our freedoms from the government as it's passed down. Um, We don't, and we get that from the Constitution and whatever. In reality, the government doesn't give us anything. The Constitution is there to ensure that the government doesn't try to take it away. Yeah, right. So you're listening to the Boss Hogger Liberty Podcast. Uh, we are on the We're Libertarians Network, and if it's the weekend, you're probably listening to us on Indiana Talks. We're broadcast uh, Saturdays and Sundays over their, over their network as well. Uh, we've got Jeremiah Morrill, Dakota Davis, and Cade Coger, your uh, co-hosts today, and Andy Horning is with us. He's the uh, U.S. Senate candidate uh, running on the Republican ticket, uh, looking for signatures and going to be on the ballot in May. Your, uh, your first chance of hopefully two chances to vote for Andy this year. Um, so you're, uh, you're d- kind of discussing the campaign and the types of things you've been through. Uh, another major, a major tenant of your platform as we look on, on your website has been, uh, trying to eliminate pork and the redistribution of, you know, states send money to the federal government, then they send it back out. And then they, you know, I saw an I article can't today that Andy Horning wants to get rid of bacon. <laughs> no, 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 when I'm talking about the, the corruption of government, what I'm really talking about is that what I've already kind of mentioned is that all this politics is for sale. And you can see it in campaign donations. And that's, I guess, what's um, as a candidate, what really gets my goat is that you have two things going on. One, as you can see, what these candidates are going to do because what they've already been paid to do. And by whom? So you, you know what's going to happen when they, they get to Washington, D.C., because they've, it, they've telegraphed it. It's, you know, they, they might as well wear those NASCAR suits that have, you know. Yeah, but, sponsors. Yeah, but, you know, in this case, we're talking about major policy changes because of what what they got paid to do. 
The other part to that is that the people who would oppose that kind of system are not going to get that money. So if I'm saying I'm against all of this corruption and I hate the fact that you guys are giving money to candidates and buying policy, well, I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot in getting, you know, million-dollar contributions and getting bundlers, you know, to get all of their rich friends and to dump into my campaign. So there, there's kind of, there are two problems with this. One is that government is being bought and sold. And the other one is that because that's happening, it's kind of silencing all alternative voices. So something I've, I've kind of talked about to a number of different folks on this on this show over time originally as designed we had a, a federal government that had a house of representatives that the people got to to elect every two years and then we had the senate which was supposed to be the cooling pot and it's become the hundred million dollar campaigns where you don't have a state legislature selecting your your senator anymore you have to go through this process where you've got to run a statewide race and with seven million people in a, in a state is that is this the right way to be doing it at all? Obviously, you know, obviously, you can't. You're not elected as a senator yet, but they're the only people that get to change this. Yeah. Are, are, or do we have the right system for even doing these federal elections? Well, I liked the pre seventeenth amendment system better, um, but I have to say that you know when the seventeenth amendment was written, it was already fairly corrupt, and the state legislatures were not really doing their job. They were holding up appointing senators at the time, and they were doing. Yeah, there were there was a lot of stuff going on at the state level because the states had more power, and so their power was all for sale, and they were corrupt as all get out. So I like the idea of senators being the representatives of states to the to the federal government and looking out for their state. And there are a lot of things I liked about the original design better. But I, I really, I'm not one of those who thinks that it would be magical to just get rid of the 17th Amendment and go back to, you know, legislatures appointing um, politicians. Because at the heart of all of this, all of the troubles I've been talking about are ones we've chosen. We <clears throat> voted for this. We, you know, we're where we are because this is where we went. And so to say that, you know, um, this is just a procedural issue that can be dealt with with a procedure, that misses the point that this is a heart issue. And that we need a change of heart and mind as a society if we want to fix the big problems of society. Because they really do come down to that. They come down to personal accountability for your choice. They come down to, you know, selfishness. Whether you, you know, in this whole game of robbing Peter to pay Paul, do you really see that you're Paul? Or are you imagining that you're Peter? Because that makes a big difference. And if politicians are telling you, no, you're Paul. You are really Paul. You're my Paul. You are my Paul. I'm going to give you so much then you know then the <laughs> then the, the real issue here is that we are getting lied to and believing the lies and then perpetuating the lies with our choices and it's all based on heart problems you know where you know we're we're afraid and so we want to beat up foreigners we're we're jealous of our money so you know i want you to pay for my health care and i want you to pay for my my kids schooling you know, all of that stuff is hard in mind. So we pick it. We choose. We continue to choose this over and over again. And you get a guy that's, you know, Pete Veselovsky has been serving since the 1970s. Is that the way this should be set up? Or is no. that a procedural thing? Should we should we say you're you're in Congress for six years and then you go get a job, hippie? Term limits are a good example <laughs> of, of something that, that is a procedural fix that doesn't fix the heart problem. So we chose we're not gonna you know, until we elect people who would give us term limits, we're not even gonna get term limits. And if we change our hearts and minds enough to vote for people who are gonna give us term limits, well we already made better choices. So it always comes back to the same thing. 
I mean, I am for term limits because I I think we just need term limits. I, I think the power of incumbency, the power of government is too great. But really what should be happening is that voters should be getting mad. They should vote like they're mad. They yep. should vote the way they talk. But we but don't whenever do we that. have voter turnout that's in the 30 percentile range. It's... I don't mind the turnout. I, I don't mind that a lot of people stay home because they're probably not doing their homework. They're not. Uh, there, if if you are, if you don't care, if you're not going to be diligent about this, if you're not going to apply at least the same rigor to a to hiring a congressman that you would to hiring a janitor, then I want you to stay home, frankly. <laughs> and if if you're going to be thinking about this and researching, you're starting your... to talk like a federalist and not a direct democracy <laughs> kind of guy. I'm not a di- well, you know, we're not supposed to have a direct democracy, of course. Nope. And and that's where it's upsetting to some people locally here uh, when it comes yeah. to statue relocation. I understand. I, I understand. <laughs> there's that there's that biomass argument that the more people that say this, the more true it must be. Yep. You know, that's it. Just oh, come on. That's not that's not scientific. That's not logical, and it's you know demonstrably wrong. Gangs Man. and mobs are not always right. That's I'm the, sorry. Uh, the, I'm just kind of taken aback here. That's how they got a um, monorail in, on the Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just sitting here and he's talking. You know common sense stuff it's kind of it's kind of taken me aback i don't know what to think about all this stuff about uh you know not having a democracy and things like that that's really <laughs> shaking me i don't <laughs> yeah i can see you're really desperately shaken there <laughs> yeah well i well i i i guess the the bottom line of all of this is that you know i could say that i've got three top issues and they can I don't know. They could be a war, um, you know, whatever. But all of them have the same fundamental problem. And I'd rather just, instead of nibbling at the branches of all of these fast-growing issues, because there are always new issues coming up all the time, why not just strike at the root? And that's getting back to the federal constitution and the state constitution. Governing our government. One final piece of that's been in the news this last couple, uh, this last week or so, uh, and the reason why the, I guess, the state is holding, not the state, why some of the Republicans have been holding up, and the Republicans, Democrats, I guess I should say together, have been holding up this continuing resolution to extend government is over DACA and over immigration and this big, you know, the border wall and what's going to happen. What's the proper role of government in that? It, you know, should, you know, there was a guy that's been in the country for 30, 31 years and he wasn't a dreamer. He missed the deadline by a, a year or two. So he got deported. You know, it, this is, is another is, case where we're, we're, atta- we're attacking and nibbling at these fast-growing branches, and the, you know, there, there's so many problems that were created by a few simple fundamental screw-ups. First of all, we give freebies to people luring them in. So they get, you know, they get immunity, they get um, free uh, health care, they get free schooling, they get all this stuff. They'd be fools not to come here from, you know, from the places they come from in most cases. Second screw-up is that, you know, because it is so difficult and costly to hire people legally, where you have to pay unemployment compensation insurance and and you have to deal with unions, and you have to deal with people who you know might take you to court over this or that, or oh, I think he's making a pass at me. I'm gonna, you know, you know <laughs> if if you've made it difficult to hire and fire people legally, you're making it very attractive to hire people illegally. And so all of this stuff comes back to the same fundamental problem, where we change our rules around. How do you? How does anybody know what the rules are going to be from one, you know, from one president to the next? And so when you're talking about these DACA, I mean, somebody's been here for 30 years. I hear all the talk where they say, oh, well, he should have applied for citizenship a long time. But he was afraid he was going to get deported at any minute. 
he was afraid that the laws were going to change and that he was going to be out on his keister or something. And, you know, who knows? But I understand why they would want to lay low and want to keep out of the eyes. You just of, want to stay off the radar. You want to stay off the radar because you don't know what's going to happen because nobody knows what's going to happen. You can't predict. And so because we don't have stable laws, they can't predict what's going to happen. They're going to hide. And so look at all the problems we have created that make it very attractive for people to come here, aside from the fact that things like the war on drugs and the wars we're promoting in their countries are making their, their homes, you know, what what our president calls a, a poopy hole. Uh, <laughs> so, Allegedly. Yeah, alleged. So, so I, we have screwed up these people's countries. We really have. We've screwed them up. You know, our CIA operations where we're taking out a dictator and then putting another one back in, or we're running guns and we're running drugs and we're paying for CIA operations by selling drugs, all of that stuff has fallout to those people, and they're going to want to come here to get all of our free stuff, and they're going to get a job, and they're going to see more money here than they've ever seen in their whole life, and they're going to be able to send money back to their families. It, yep. it works out great for them, and they're stupid not to come here. Yep, that's a, the, like, just took the words right out of my mouth. That's what I've always told people whenever we whenever we have this conversation about borders. And, uh, you know, I, I come from the construction industry, so I've, I've worked a lot around a lot of uh, a lot of immigrants that came from Central America, from Mexico, places like that. And I thought he was going to say from Kentucky. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never worked with somebody from Kentucky. I no, no, no. We don't deal with. Those I wouldn't people. stoop down no. to that level. <laughs> no, but they they are. They, I mean, they would be stupid to come here legally. I mean, with uh, with everything that. The way it is, I mean, sometimes it can take up to 20 years just to get your citizenship here. I mean, well, you know, there's... With, with the recent tax changes, meaning that, you know, my youngest son is now not going to be, you know, he's not going to be a, a tax deduction any longer. I've been thinking about maybe saying he's a Mexican because <laughs> just think of all the stuff you can get out of that then, you know, but that's the problem. Yep. I mean, do you see what the problem that's, really that's is? That's kind of the thing that I've always talked about whenever I talk to um, anarchist people within the liberty movement, and they always want to talk about open borders. Well, government can't restrict people from moving freely. You know, that's that works okay in in a place where we aren't, you know, spending money giving away all this stuff. Like it, it it's that works fine in a in a situation where it's a perfect world. It's just like we were talking about before with the the anarchy utopia, the the things that work good whenever people aren't actually human. Well, you know, there, there's a lot to argue with any of that. But, you know, because facts kind of bear out the fact that we're, we're really not losing money on these people and that it, it really isn't a problem economically speaking that a lot of people make it out to be. But the fundamental issue is still the same is that if we're talking about building a wall because we have problems with illegal aliens, we're not looking at the problem that we created. That's not the root cause. That's exactly right. And that's why I always try to look for the root cause instead of, you know, the the symptoms of it. We're always treating symptoms, but we never attack the disease. Yep. Exactly. Well, very good. Well, we'll leave the uh, the interview portion of the uh, the program there. We'll come back to Andy for final thoughts in a few minutes. We did tease at the beginning of the show talking to Kate about the uh, the late breaking news and what you uh, what you were covering tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, some background: you served, and you and I both were recruited by the uh, the questionable Darren Jacobs, the planning commissioner, <laughs> <coughs> who's exiled all chickens out of Spiceland, Indiana. Uh, Darren <laughs> recruited us to serve on a. Uh, 
I guess, a committee, steering uh, committee. a steering committee, yep. uh, as Henry County, any any area in Indiana that has a planning commission has to have a comprehensive plan. Mm-hmm. So by law, if they have this, it has to exist, and they hadn't updated it in 20 years. So they said they're going to update the comprehensive plan. We were each recruited to be a part of the steering committee, so we attended a series of meetings, and today was the day that that plan was rolled out to the planning commission. Planning commission, yeah. So tell me about the night. Did it get adopted? Where is it at? What's the story? So uh, we opened up the night. Um, the American Structure Point was the company that we hired to come up with this plan with us through the steering committee and then the focus groups that we had with the uh, stakeholder meetings. Um, after we came up with the plan over the last year and so many months, uh, we think we came up with a, a final plan that they presented to the planning commission tonight. Um, the planning commission, after going through it, um, they had uh, some of the uh, steering committee members got up and talked about it. And we talked about the process, um, what we went through as much as how much we discussed it, um, all the different aspects, kind of what everybody contributed to the plan, and that we all felt as a whole that we supported the plan as it was written. And then the planning commission opened up the floor for an hour um, for any other questions or concerns. And uh, for the hour, uh, we had a lot of people come up. Um, of course, we've got an ongoing um, issue in the county with wind energy. And uh, we've got a company, a few companies that are looking at us, our county, to come in and put uh, industrial wind turbines. So it's been a kind of a hotbed issue. And, it's been the, the Henry County has turned into the Hatfields and McCoys over yeah, over it's, over. Wind. It's really driven a wedge. Not really just a hotbed issue. It's been the issue. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> taken over a lot of meetings. And we don't have Republicans really, and Democrats. We have pro wind and anti wind in the county. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> it's stifled a lot of progress in the last year. Uh, but anyway, um, after we we had the the hour of listening to questions and concerns, um, they motioned to accept the plan as written. Excluding page 82 and 83, which have to deal with the wind energy uh, proposal, which in the plan itself, um, they're they're questioning whether it was worded as favoring wind. Um, so, and I, I agree, it shouldn't say that it favors or that it totally excludes the possibility of wind. It should just, you know, whatever they come up with to say whether we, you know, are open to the idea or not. It still should have something in there that says which way yeah. that the county wants to go with it. So until February, the next meeting, um, all of the planning commission members are supposed to have a say in how they're going to change the language in that. So it's a stay tuned. So Yep, stay tuned. All right. Interesting. Yep. Well, thanks for going tonight. We appreciate you yep. and the update. Yep. So the, uh, the late-breaking arm of the Wheel of the Wheel Libertarians <laughs> Network for, for, <laughs> for Cade. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you going. I was... Uh, I was not going to be able to make that and let a dog out and eat dinner and get ready for the show tonight, too. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, we're at the point in the show where we typically go around and do some final thoughts. And uh, anything we missed, Andy, as far as uh, platform or anything along those lines, if not, it's a great time to pitch how to help with the campaign, how to volunteer, how to, how to get signatures. That's what I ought to do. I mean, I, you get the idea that I'm about the constitutional rule of law, and I, you know, just read the constitutions, and you'll see what I'm. I've annotated constitutions; they're on my website, they're on my blog site, so you can see exactly what I think about any particular issue. But if you, you know, you want to ask me a question, I'll answer it specifically. Probably a really long answer too. So, um, I guess the the way to help right now, we can think only about getting the ballot signatures. Um, we have to get that done. And if we have to pay some people to do it or whatever we need to do, 
give us a ring if you can help, if you can get uh, some signatures in your county. Um, we can handle the rest of it if you want to just mail us what you get or if you know we can come pick it up or whatever the case is. But we've got on my website, which is horningforindiana.com, or you can also see them on my um, Facebook page. You can download a kind of a pre-filled in, um, there's a form that you have to use that's got the name of the candidate and all that stuff already pre-printed in. And then there are 10 signature lines. So each one of these, it's a two-sided form, but it's got only one side where you have to fill out the signatures and the, the information. If you can print those out um, and get some people to sign them, um, that would really help us a lot. Okay. Very yeah. good. And how do uh, how do people connect with the campaign? Go to the website, find you. I, I guess you have a Facebook page for the campaign or a Twitter account. Facebook page. I'm pretty easy to find. If you just Google my name, you'll see lots of entries now. So I, I, I come up right up on a Google search for my website. Yep, there we sure go. does because I Googled him today. Oh, good deal. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Andy, for joining us today. We, well, we really you. do appreciate it. I enjoyed it. it. A uh, couple more final thoughts around the room. Uh, Kate, you got anything else? I know your your big podcast came out with uh, with. Uh, Brett Bittner. Uh, yeah, beyond the beyond the fork or yep. churning sporks or whatever his show is called. Yeah, yeah. You can't outrun the fork. Can't you can't outrun, outrun the, the fork. fork. <laughs> <laughs> so we can we can plug that. Is there anything else uh, going on in the world we need to uh, we need to look out for you on? Um, I don't think so. Uh, if you guys want, you can add me on Facebook. Um, follow me on Instagram at the Armed Farmer. About uh, trying to. Uh, you know, buy some Advocare products from your yeah, wife. Uh, yeah, my wife. We <laughs> sell Advocare stuff. So if you guys want any Spark or anything like that, you know, we got you hooked up. You yeah, got Kate is now my so. Spark dealer. In case anybody... <laughs> is it bad that I don't even know what this is? Uh, it's kind of like it's like a weight loss supplement type thing. Okay, I need that. So I had I had surgery last um, March on my knee, and since then I started diet and exercise, uh, and I've lost 108 pounds since then. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Kate, <laughs> wow. Kate's blown us away. The, the beyond the beyond the fork thing is real. If you want to hear that story, listen to yep. him on the yeah, uh, like on the Bittner cast. What the uh, the and you're still losing weight, like the beyond yeah. the fork, or you can't outrun the fork episode. Yeah, that's kind of the first leg of my weight loss, and I've kind of switched tactics now, and I'm still yeah. going with it. Well, so. you lost 93 pounds since At then. That point, now you're yeah. saying what 108? Yep. So I mean, you're still going strong, like yep. hardcore. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's pretty awesome. Oh, Thanks. congratulations! Yeah, thank you. Holy cow, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, you can't tell he was even fat at one time. Now he just looked regular. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still better too. I still show that I'm overweight. I'm, I'm down forty two. You can't hardly tell. Wow. Go. Yeah, I need to get whatever this is you guys are doing. So yeah, it's the uh, it's the Henry County groundwater. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's wind free. <laughs> Dakota, final Winfrey. thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. Man, I I had it all in my head, but now I can't remember. Um, I guess uh Man, I really can't remember. All right. I, I, had to... a, I had a great thing. Oh, I know what it is. It's uh it's our new it's our new links that we can get for the Boss Hog Liberty YouTube page. So if you've made it this long and you're watching the YouTube video, then you can click uh, it, the circle is going to be right in front of Andy, right over there, and that will take you directly to our Boss Hog of Liberty site on YouTube and makes it really easy for you to subscribe. We only need 13 more people, and we'll get 100 subscribers. And then right here in front of Cade is going to be the latest episode that we did, which was discussing the GOP Senate uh, for the state's new uh, platform. All right. Very good. I wanted to uh, just take a minute or two and uh, read into the record that Amazon.com had their list of top 20 cities or the for their HQ2, their new headquarters. 
uh, potential to bring in 40,000 new jobs and I think a $5 billion project. I think there's 33 buildings in the campus in, in Washington. Uh, the Indianapolis Star, which you're very familiar with, they, uh, <clears throat> they, they got rid of all of their editors and copywriters. Andy, if you look at this, it says, Indy is a finalist for the Amazon headquarters, but they spelled Indy I-N-D-I-Y. So the, yeah. t- the 12-year-olds <laughs> that were quick to break the news Somebody down was there. going to try to write Indianapolis, and then an editor was like, no, 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 no. no, no, no. no. Just no, make it say Indy. Indy. They're like, okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, the possibly the biggest story in a generation in Indianapolis, <laughs> and that is the headline that they put out. <laughs> so I just wanted to... Maybe maybe they want to reconsider not having anybody work there. Is that, I swear I swear the Indianapolis Star. This is I tell Dakota this all the time. They literally like read tweets. Whatever's on Facebook and Twitter, they just make it a news article now. If something's going on or if there's a meme that's popular, they literally have a a 17 year old that works there that takes it and prints it out, and you know they just print out Twitter hey, for the but internet. Good for that 17 year old, you know, he's getting some good work and life experience. Uh, maybe and, he's going to get a good job at like CNN someday. <laughs> and someday, <laughs> someday maybe he'll learn how to spell indie when you're working for the indie star. So anyway, but that's a bigger story though. This this Amazon campus, and I'm interested in your your input, Andy, or if you have any thoughts on it. You know, if you had been elected governor at some point, there'd be companies coming to you with their handout saying, "Hey, you well, know, there is there is the question: is what is what are we offering them, and then how much is it going to cost? But us? it's a secret. We don't know going, because yeah, the state keeps the state keeps, the, keeps it all pork. closed. We're going back to pork and banning bacon. Yep, and it's and everybody knows that's the rule right now. So they know that if they're gonna if they've got a big tasty thing they're willing to bring us, that um, although I gotta say it's always kind of worked like that. It's not like there's ever been a time where people didn't say, well, I I can bring a bunch of jobs to your place with my railroad coming through here. So you know that's it's not like it's brand new, but where the stakes are so much higher right now is that we we used to you know. Small business is still the biggest generator of income and um, and wealth at the individual level. So a small business are still the thing you really want to stimulate. Big businesses can go up real fast, but then they can also go down real fast, and you lose a whole town. So it's dangerous. It's, a, it's another one of those dangerous games we're playing with all of this. And at the same time, you feel almost derelict in your duty if you're Governor Holcomb, or if you're, yeah, you know, you, you know, where you, you've got, you know, you're one no, of twenty I mean, now. How, how do you say no to fifty thousand jobs and five billion dollars in revenue? Well, it's not even just saying no to fifty thousand jobs; it's saying that somebody's going to do it. Right, somebody's yeah. going to do it. Why not us? Yeah, Wisconsin, uh, I, and it's controversial. They gave out four point three billion dollars in state incentives to attract Foxcom, which is a like. 13,000 jobs. And so, you know, if you look to see what the property tax rolls look like here in Indianapolis, you know, where people are losing their houses all the time because they can't pay their taxes, you're seeing a a hidden price to everything our government does. So when people are losing their businesses, losing their houses, losing everything they've got and ending up having to live off the state, um, you know, that's, that's one of those things we never think about that as being a cost of government operations, but we really ought to. Right. You never own your house. Never own your house. That's There's right. nothing you own that can't be taken away by government right now, and that's a shame. That's the uh, Rex. I know Rex Bell got it from somebody else, but he always challenged people to say, "Name three things the government doesn't tax or regulate." Can't do it. Just yeah, you, can't, you can't get there. Black market. <laughs> <That's really it. laughs> but they're trying to regulate that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're just inefficient. So anyway, we appreciate everybody listening, following the uh, following the podcast. Uh, the way we grow is uh, by your subscriptions. Uh, like us on Facebook, share, uh, 
you know, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't yet, jump on that YouTube page and like us there. Uh, we are discussing the possibility of making some upgrades to the equipment around here. So if that's something you're interested in helping us out with and you've listened this far, we know you're one of the hardcores. Uh, send us a message, Dakota or myself, or uh, d- direct message the page. Uh, looking at the possibility of doing a Mevo camera, uh, which will give us a full high-definition video and then uh, continue to do the YouTube streams the way we are. Yep. We ran into a little issue uh, a couple weeks ago where Facebook and YouTube were not playing nicely together and you couldn't export YouTube, uh, videos out to uh, out of ex- out of Facebook for a while. So those went down for a couple of weeks. They're back now, but uh, we want to be in control, so we're looking yeah, at some hardware. I can, I can get the videos uploaded to YouTube now, but f- for some reason it takes forever. Yeah. And I'm trying diligently to get that worked out. Uh, we're trying to, I mean... I just called our fiber company here in Newcastle, Metronet, so they're going to be coming out on Monday, setting me up with the gigabyte speed uh, internet. Uh, so we're trying to do some studio upgrades and could really use the help with we're that. We're on 2.0. If you guys are interested, let us know. And there's sponsorship opportunities as well, especially for Henry County businesses. So if this is something you might be uh, might be into, we've uh, we want to talk. Yep, we'll appreciate post the uh, uh, post the link on the to the GoFundMe page on the Boss Hog of Liberty. Uh, Facebook page, or uh, you can just go to GoFundMe and just type us in the search bar, and we'll be there. There we go. And we want to give a shout out to Andy as well for wearing plaid. He uh, he he got the memo, <laughs> and uh, this has become the flannel and plaid podcast, and uh, and, and we're all in it today. So the picture is going to look great. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at WeAreLibertarians.com. <laughs>